This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday. November 17th, 2020 edition of Invest Talk. And I appreciate you all for tuning in for this hour. Uh, a lot to pack in, a lot of your questions to answer. And we interesting and insightful to try to direct the show to answer uh, the question that are most top of mind for the average investor. And I know many people are anxious about many things, right? The pandemic and how the vaccine may potentially change the dynamics of the investment and economic landscape and the time in between then as well. How will policy evolve? How will economies evolve? Especially now that I know here in California, I found out yesterday my gym is closing on, or not closing, but moving to outdoor only. So things are are changing a little bit and that is going to have an impact on economic activity as well but in various ways across the country because the response to the pandemic has been more localized as opposed to from a federal level and so that brings a lot more uncertainty to the near future now long term i think we'll be all right uh governments will come in and they will stabilize economies But one thing you can say for sure is that you have to be prepared for the volatility that is inevitable. And how to compensate compensate for that volatility and protect your assets. So that's my goal here each and every day on Invest Talk is to give you the right perspective, the right information to make an informed decision. I'm Justin Klein, and today in this program and podcast, that is my goal, is to answer your finance and investment questions and help you develop those strategies at 888-99-CHART. I'm ready for your calls right there at that number. Let's take a quick look at the market today. You had the S&P down about 17 points, a modest down day. What was interesting is down in the morning, rallied most of the day, and then the last kind of hour the market kind of sold off. Uh, And so it was a very modest down day overall. And it's going to be very interesting to see how we close uh, this month and what December brings, right? There's going to be a lot of jockeying in December for what happens to the tax code going forward. How will investors react to what they see going forward? Right, because if the tax code changes, uh, Biden had a had a speech the other day, I believe it was yesterday before, on his economic policy, and a big part of that was taxing labor less. And I think the message there was, is he going to try to tax savings, investments more, right, capital more? That's what capital gains taxes are; they're lower rates. That means capital is taxed lower than labor. Is he going to try to switch that? I think that will be an interesting dynamic that could potentially unfold as well as you have to look forward to 
stimulus package. I don't think there's going to be a stimulus package within this lame duck session, session of Congress. Likely will be once Biden is sworn in on January 20th. Takes a few weeks for him to work with Congress, put out a bill probably sometime in February. That's where I'm expecting it. But how big is it? It's going to be a bit trillion, two trillion, three trillion. We don't know. I know it's crazy. We're talking in trillions now, but that's just the world we're in. Can't fight it. So that's what I'm watching over the next couple of months. And I'll keep you informed on how I see the developments affecting the economic landscape and the investment landscape. So as you can already hear, I have a busy and information-packed podcast for you today, so let's get right to our first caller question at 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. I made a very speculative play back in May where I bought ProShare short the S&P, ticker symbol SH, for around $23 a share. I don't need an immediate return by any means. However, I'm just not sure if I should cut my losses now because the S&P will continue to go up or if you think there is an opportunity for me to at least break even in the future. Would love to hear your opinion. Thank you for all the information you guys provide. Have a good rest of your day. Well, what she owned is the short S&P 500. And, um, you know, the getting out of that, I think, is something that, that should happen. Uh, but I do expect volatility over the next three to six months. Uh, and there likely will be some opportunity there. But we know that from the past, governments are going to come in, stimulate the economy, create inflation, and that's what you're looking at going forward. So I, sh- I do think you should have a in your mind to get out of that position. Uh, but I do think we could get closer to that price that you purchased at sometime in the next six months as you get volatility, once again, surrounding possibly inauguration of Biden, maybe uh, stimulus package not being as big, surging COVID cases that you were seeing now, how bad is that going to get? So there's a lot to potentially create volatility in the near term, and that would be your exit point. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and there's no denying it. Winter is just around the corner, a little over a month away. Good news, though. Before long, the holiday season will be here, and hopefully COVID will be behind us. So you have to find ways to manage your risk going into the year end. Talk about tax loss selling, strategies around that, as well as the new year, right? New year brings new possibilities and potentially new strategies. So I'm here. I'm ready to help you in any way that I can. Your participation is an important part of the mix. So we're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. You can get your free Invest Talk podcast downloads anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or investtalk.com. Be sure to tell your friends and family members about Invest Talk and encourage them to listen, rate, and review. Eight 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 ninety nine chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. Now my focus point today concerns a story. According to labor economists, workers who remain out of a job for more than six months enter a financially precarious period, and long-term unemployment is actually starting to balloon. I know that employment rate is dropping, but long-term unemployment 
is starting to perk up, getting close to the levels that we saw in the financial crisis. So we're going to unpack that story overall. Also, tech stocks. Let's going to go back in history and ask the question, is your portfolio too weighted towards technology stocks? So we're going to unpack some history and go over some statistics and help you understand the indexes as well, or indices, however you want to say it. Also, I know I've been trying to get to the buyback effect of stocks for about a week now, so maybe I'll get to that hopefully. And then lastly, Amazon announced that they are trying to get into the pharmacy benefit management business, and that's certainly affecting some of the major uh, pharmacies out there, right? CVS, Walgreens, etc. That's certainly not going to be welcome, a welcoming sign for uh, th- that sector as a whole. And so we're going to unpack that story overall. Now let's keep pace moving forward by jumping back into the Invest Talk Voice Bank. Here comes a question from a listener in Illinois. Hey, Steve and Justin. This is Chris from Illinois. Hey, I had a question about uh, resistance when you're looking at a stock chart. And I've heard you say, you know, wait for it to break through resistance. When you say break through resistance, you mean closing above that resistance price. And would you say a buy point is when it has one day or two or three days staying above that resistance level? Because I know I've seen, you know, stocks pop through it and then kind of come back off it. So I'll listen on the podcast. Thanks a lot. Bye. Yeah, what we like to see is actually a weekly close uh, on a weekly basis. So the end of a particular week, it closes above a resistance level uh, and then at least have a couple of days uh, the next week to where it stays there. Uh, And then it gives me a little bit more uh, confidence that it will hold above that resistance level. So, but great call. Great question. Let's go to James Snow looking at Intel. Yeah, I want to talk to you about Intel today. Um, I've owned it for years. I've owned it with Qualcomm and Texas Instruments. The other two are doing great. This one took a real dive. I'm assuming that's just because of Apple deciding to use their own chips. It doesn't seem to be anything else wrong with the company, unless you've got something to tell me there, Justin. Uh, There's a couple of other factors. One is the earnings report that came out last month for the third quarter spoke to the weakness in server uh, purchases. Uh, So basically, large corporations are kind of slowing their deployment of of servers and and capital equipment to to, to, that would benefit the Intel uh, corporation. So that's really one issue. Another is AMD. There is many that believe that Intel is starting to fall behind AMD in the processor, the microprocessor uh, technology game, and that they've, they've gained a lot. And Intel is no longer head and shoulders above the likes of AMD, but maybe closer to peers. And certainly that changes the dynamic of Intel. I still think Intel is the leader, uh, but it definitely is closer than it used to be. Uh, I think Intel is a good value. Uh, what worries me, though, is the chart. Uh, you're getting lower highs, lower lows, below all major moving averages. This recent bounce has been relatively weak. So that's what worries me overall. So, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't dislike Intel. I just don't love it right now, mainly because of that chart. I really need to see some relative strength, especially in relation to the semiconductor industry. Uh, and until then, I'm kind of laying off Intel. 
Thanks for the call, James. Now, my focus point today concerns this story. According to labor economists, workers who remain out of job for more than six months enter a financially precarious period and that long-term unemployment is ticking up. And we know that unemployment overall continues to fall, right? Workers are going back. Workers that were put on furlough are going back to work. And that's certainly a good thing. But long-term unemployment, which means you're unemployed for over 27 weeks or on average about six months, is accelerating quickly. In October, 11 million out, out of the 11 million jobless workers, a quarter of them, sorry, a third of them were long-term unemployed. And that's up from the previous month of 19%, going from 19 to 33%. So the number of long-term unemployed swelled by 1.2 million in just a month to 3.6. So from 2.4 to 3.6, that is a serious issue. And it's a quickly getting up to the peak during the Great Recession of 45% were out of work for more than a year. And we know that a lot of unemployed people got big unemployment checks and they were doing fairly well in the summer, right, when there was a lot of stimulus behind those type of people that were, that were struggling. However, according to J.P. Morgan, about Two-thirds of that accumulated savings over that time, because a lot of people have saved, right? They, they've said, I'm getting money from the government, but I don't have a job. So I'm not going to go out there and spend. I'm going I'm to save. I'm going to repair my balance sheet. About two-thirds of that unwind just in the month of August alone. So that, has, that savings overall has pretty much been burned through. And that's really the issue here, is that we don't have that stimulus package to keep those people afloat. Right? And they're going to struggle. They're going to struggle to get back in the labor force, to keep their skills, etc. And that is more of a structural issue, uh, more medium and long term. But for those people, it's an issue short term. Right? They need to put food on the table. And you know, we'll see what governments do to keep those people afloat. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. For investors, the need to remain vigilant never ends. So my job here is to help coach you through this environment, the potential volatility, help understand your risk level, how to properly develop a strategy. So I'd love to hear what is ever is on your mind. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. The fourth quarter is moving fast. There's an autumn chill in the air and uncertainty in the markets. So you've got finance and investment questions for Steve and Justin. And the phone lines never close. Call Investor, 888-99-CHART. Hey guys, this is Justin in Orlando. Uh, calling with a little bit of a two-part question. First off, Raytheon or Lockheed Martin? Similar areas. I uh, just wanted to get your opinion on which you would choose if you wanted to include one in your portfolio. And second part with an impending Biden presidency and presumably less defense spending. Where do you see these guys heading? Up, down, sideways? Uh, just calling for your opinion. Thank you very much. All right, I was looking at two defense contractors, but they're relatively different in, in many ways. Now, I'll start off Lockheed Martin because they're the easiest to understand. Largest defense contractor globally dominates the Western market for high-end fighter aircrafts, right? They have some 
uh, business. They have some helicopters and missile defense, etc. And here's my issue with Lockheed is look at our fiscal situation. Look at where global warfare is going. In the world with nuclear weapons, I don't see us going into widespread all-out war with, say, China, at least in the short term. Certainly, potentially long term, that could happen. But I don't see that as the primary place that governments are going to allocate resources, especially as our budget deficits get get bigger and bigger. And maybe we have some issues on that front at some point. And I see potential cut or certainly not growth in spending for aircrafts, for example, more on the line, along the lines of cyber warfare. I say that's where, that's where the warfare is played out in today's world uh, more acutely. And I think that is what I want to focus on our companies that will get allocated resources from governments, not to planes. So that's why I'm not a big fan of Lockheed Martin. Now, Raytheon is a little different. They're diversified. They have they have defense, but also private industry as well. Okay, and it's split uh, roughly 50-50. They're an engine manufacturer. Uh, they, they're similar in a lot of ways, uh, but they're also weighted towards the private sector. And I think that's what makes it a little more attractive. To me, there's that upside of the private sector aerospace space side getting better. Now, certainly, I think it's going to be a rough sledding for the near term, even if we get a vaccine and we reopen, clearly, I've said this before, the trend and the somewhat permanent change of businesses traveling a lot less, right? Business travel is going to be uh, mitigated for some period of time uh, and maybe even permanently, maybe permanently lower to some degree because companies are more apt and more used to video conferencing and it's more cost effective easier on people, right? Employees. And so I have, I think that's going to be a long slog for that industry as a whole, but I don't like Lockheed and the fact that they're so levered towards fighter jets. I think there needs to, there is likely in the future going to be a reallocation towards cyber warfare more than physical traditional warfare. Thanks for the call. 88899 chart, 8892 4278. It's how you get through and ask your question. We have about a half hour left in the show, so get your call in sooner rather than later. Now let's touch a little bit on the tech sector and technology stocks as a whole. Now, the sector currently accounts for about 24.2% of the SP 500. And if you add in the likes of Google, Facebook, and Twitter, they make up another 11% of the benchmark. So total, you're talking about 35% of the benchmark. Okay, And if you look back in history, that is extremely high. And this is important to understand because the S&P is a widely used, is the most widely used benchmark, right? It's tons of exchange-traded funds, actively managed funds that benchmark themselves to the S&P. And that drives asset allocation, both from a passive perspective and an active perspective. Now, let's dive into what's been driving the stocks as a whole. Now, history says that over the past 31 years, tech has, as a percentage of the overall index, has 
fluctuated between 6.3% in 1992 to 33% in August of 2000. Now, if you include those other areas, like I said, Amazon, uh, Google, Facebook, Twitter, the ones that are not technically in the tech universe, right, under that umbrella anymore, that sector, we're well above the 2000 levels, okay? So it's, but what you have to understand too is that between 2000 and the end of 2003, the Morningstar US Technology Index lost 70% of its value. The Dow over that time was only down about 15, 20%. So you can see that level of volatility that's happening, that can happen in that space. There's been so much outperformance though, really since 2003, that market pundits are describing technology as a safe haven. And I think there's some credence to that. And a lot of the size of the sector's weighting itself doesn't mean that it's going to correct imminently, right? Just because it's a higher percentage of the, of the S&P doesn't mean that it's ready to correct. Just that there's a, some potential there. But it also correlates with the size of the economy or the role in the economy. So I'm going to give you a little history after the break of what that actually means. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and the phone lines are open. So I'd love to get your calls in right now at 888 chart. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value. So your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com slash today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. 
This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. You are listening to Invest Talk. What a difference a year makes. A pandemic, financial shutdown, and market volatility. You've got finance and investment questions, and Justin Klein is here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. On the next Invest Talk, this story Home Builder Confidence in November breaks the record high. Historically low mortgage rates. Favor, favorable demographics and an ongoing suburban shift for home buyer preference have spurred demand and increased new home sales. Steve will get to that story tomorrow, but let's first go to Emilios in San Francisco. Wants to talk with the Nasdaq. Emilios. Emilios, you there? Can you hear me? Yes. I'm here. Great, great. Back to back days. Hey, man, I'm telling you, I will never miss a show, uh, even though sometimes I can call, sometimes I can't, because you guys are just just awesome. I, I wanted it. to ask you, the NASDAQ, uh, uh, in relation to what you were just talking about, the NASDAQ 100, is mm-hmm. that, is, I think, uh, do you like that one? I, I know. I mean, the NASDAQ is very heavily weighted towards these these tech stocks and the momentum stocks. And, and, and there's certainly a lot of value in those companies, uh, but they're they're way they're overstretched, which, you know, I'll get to in a second. Uh, and this also is in the heart of the shift away from the growth side of the market and into the value side. Uh, and certainly the Qs will underperform in that environment. And if you just look at I, I believe I showed that on my Friday YouTube uh, market analysis video. So if anyone wants to go and check that out, you can go to our Invest Talk page on YouTube and you can see that I did the ratio of IWM small caps to the Qs and you're starting to see that break out. It's now above the 200 day moving average, that ratio, and it shows you that outperformance of IWM over the Qs. So uh, I think Qs can do fine, but if there is a continuation of that, that rotation into value stocks, Qs will certainly underperform. Got you. Okay, Justin. Thank you, man. Thank you for everything you do. Great show. Appreciate it, Emilios. Now, getting back to um, what I was discussing before the break about the weighting of tech stocks. Now, like I said, the the fact that tech stocks are becoming a bigger part of the indices is 
should not be a shock, right? They're becoming a bigger part of our economy, more important part of our economy, so they should have a higher weight in the overall indices. And if you look in history, looking way back in the 1800s, agriculture, for example, made up more than a third of all economic output in the United States. Now, by 1900, that dropped all the way down to about 20%. So the role of different sectors in the economy certainly ebbs and flows over longer periods of time, and certainly we're in a time where technology is growing. Also, railroads made up about two-thirds of stocks included in the S&P Composite Index in the 1870s, but by 1957, it was only a small fraction of all the holdings. Okay, So over long periods of time, that can shift. Now, over the past 31 years, old economic sectors such as basic materials, energy, consumer goods, industrials, they've declined as a percentage, whereas technology, healthcare, financial services, etc., have become much bigger. So it should not be a shock. Now, if you look at the valuations, however, and you dig into the metrics like P ratios, book value, price to cash flow, price to sales, etc., three out of those four metrics now stand higher than they did at the end of 2000. So they are very, very expensive. Okay, The only one that doesn't is the P ratio. Everything else is at a much higher valuation than 2000. And so this evidence taken as a whole says that caution should be in place for this area of the market. Doesn't mean that you get out of it. You know, some so many people are black and white. But what it does mean is that you may be able to dial maybe dial back your tech exposure and add positions in areas that are typically a counterweight, act differently than technology typically. Low correlation to that sector, such as energy, utilities, real estate. So, in summary, yes. Technology is becoming a bigger part of our economy and deservedly a bigger place in the S&P 500 because of that. But that does not mean that it should dominate as much as it does. And that the valuations that they're trading at today are reasonable. Because by most measures, they're not. So that's why it should give you a little pause if you're going to add more tech exposure to your portfolio. Now, if you heard me say, we get calls from all across the world and all over America. So here's one that came that came in earlier from Hawaii. Hi, Stephen Justin. This is Andrew from Hawaii. I wanted to know your thoughts on Nordstrom and implementing a selling an iron condor around these price levels, around $18, $19, I feel... It's getting some traction with the rotation into value, so I was thinking maybe taking advantage of it. Thanks. Yeah, I, I like going long uh, the reopening place like a Nordstrom. So I, I would be a fan of this. Uh, I would certainly, you know, options are, are tough. It's hard for me to give you a true recommendation on an option strategy without knowing exactly, you know, strike price, duration, expiration, et cetera. Uh, but 
I would say I'm relatively bullish in the near term. And that's what you're talking about, right? With options, you're for more focused on probably the next couple of months, maybe the next six months. And I like, I like mushrooms overall of the retail plays. I think they have one of the better brands, better places for uh, the area of the market. Appreciate the call. 8899 chart, 8992 4278. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I encourage you to explore the financial and investment information that we have posted over on our website, investtalk.com. You can learn about the various investment strategy opportunities that we offer through KPP Financial. For example, Equity Income Plus, it's a dividend investing strategy with a boost. What we do is we hold dividend paying stocks, and then we add an extra layer of income by writing cover calls on top of those positions, bringing in extra premium and income. If you're serious about achieving financial freedom and you want to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our KPP Financial Office in Irvine, California, you can learn more right now at investtalk.com. But now I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is InvestTalk. You can get your free InvestTalk podcast downloads anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or investtalk.com. I am a big fan of your podcast, and I just got started with it. Be sure to tell your friends and family members about InvestTalk and encourage them to listen, rate, and review. The Anytime Listener lines never close. Steve and Justin are waiting for your questions. 888-99-CHART. Eight 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 ninety nine chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, some big news out today. I think the biggest company specific news, because I guess the Tesla being added to S and P that was probably yesterday's news after the bell. But certainly the reaction was today. But Amazon, I think the most impactful piece of news was that they are announced that. They're now, uh, they are launching Amazon Pharmacy, and this will allow customers the option to use a pharmacy profile on Amazon's website, add their insurance information, manage prescription drugs, and pay for medication online. They'll get their two-day shipping like normal, Prime members, and discounts when not using insurance, uh, up to 80% on generic drugs, which is uh, pretty pretty crazy. So... Not shockingly, CVS and Walgreens both fell almost 10% on the news today. And the big question is, can they fight the next fight that a company is going to have to put up against Amazon's onslaught? Right? Amazon continues to make inroads into pretty much every sector of the economy in their own way utilizing the data that they get from their website and really just not one competitor after another across various industries. Now, what can they do about it? What can CVS and Walgreens do about it? Well, CVS recently purchased Aetna, right? And that's certainly going to give them an advantage on data, understanding the healthcare landscape, and revenue diversification beyond just pharmacy benefits, right? They also have retail offerings as well. So of the two, I think CVS will do the best 
But it's still going to be difficult, continue to be difficult to compete brick and mortar against online. And I think this is one more piece of evidence for legislators to crack down on Amazon and say, "Uh uh-uh, you can't just go out there, put all these companies out of business, utilizing your data that you're getting from the website and basically out-compete everybody because you're just the biggest and you have the most data. And that's, this is, this is, I think a bad strategy for CVS. I really, or not CVS, for Amazon because it's just going to bring more scrutiny, but we shall see. Now it's a fast moving Tuesday. No reason to slow things down. Here comes another caller question on the Invest Talk Anytime listener line at 888 chart. Yes, this is Jason in Alabama. Absolutely love the show. Thank you guys so much for answering our questions. I do have one that's probably a pretty basic question, but I've yet to understand. How do you read a candlestick chart? To me, I've tried, I've read about it, and I look at it, and it just looks like a bunch of different colored bars everywhere. And what is it mainly used for? What's the best use for using that? Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Well, candlestick charts are the most common way, kind of the the Rolls-Royce of chart reading, right? Uh, candlesticks are basically, helps you understand in one quick snapshot what happened in that particular day, that trading day. Where did it open? Where did it close? Was it a positive day if it's green? Negative day if it's red, right? And then you correspond that with volume, other factors well. So I... I think candlesticks are very, very useful. At least that's what I use. I've been using them for 20 years now. Uh, for me to explain to you over air without some visuals would be extremely difficult. Um, but if you're going to read charts, you're going to have to understand candlesticks and use candlesticks. Now, if you want more information, we do have a book section on our site. And I I forget the exact name of it. It's Candlesticks in the name. Uh, But it's a classic charting book. And I suggest everyone who's trying to get better at technical analysis. Remember, technical analysis is the charting aspect. Understanding volume and price trends to help you put the odds in your favor. And that's really what charting does for you. And so I encourage everyone to read up, try to get better at becoming uh, a chart reader. And that'll put, help you put the odds better in your favor. And candlesticks are the first step in that. I think I can squeeze one more quick question in here. Let's try this now. At Hi, I'm calling about Spirit Airlines. Do you think right now would be a good time to enter a position with, you know, all the recent news on the vaccines coming out? Thank you for your time. Bye. All right, looking at Spirit Airlines, save is the symbol. Now, I, here's my issue with, with Spirit. Customer service and satisfaction is extremely low. That's what worries me. Now, the positive is they make the good money. Pre-pandemic, they were making good money. Business was a little choppy, but hey, the airline business is relatively choppy. 
I don't love the airline business as a whole, so there's that. They're, they're going to lose $8.27 this year, but only $0.84 cents next year, so certainly a nice recovery there. But then it goes back to what I was saying yesterday. Is this more levered towards leisure or business? And this is a low-cost airline, so this is a leisure airline. So that's the positive there, is that it is a leisure airline, but I don't like the fact that they have such poor customer satisfaction. And then if you look at their balance sheet, they have about $3.5 billion in debt. Uh, you know, they're muddling through. Will they be able to survive with that level of debt? So far, the market's saying they will. But I'm just not a big fan of them as a whole. I, I rather feel good about the companies that, that are out there that are operating. And I just know too many other airlines that are doing well or, or not doing well, but they are, they have good customer satisfaction. They have more history of profitable operations and a better balance sheet. So to me, the only good thing about it is that it is very focused on the leisure side, but that's not enough for me to get excited about it. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here to help you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Hello, this is Eric in Virginia. Thank you for taking my message. I'm interested to get your thoughts on the trade desk, TTD. Um, it's been on my watch list for a while, although the shares seem clearly overvalued at this point. I'm curious for your take on their business model, and if you do like it, how far would you need it to pull back before you buy it? Thanks, and I'll listen on the show. Hi, this is The Trade Desk, and this is a cloud-based platform for digital ad buying, from what I understand. And this is a business that's done very well. Earnings are supposed to be $4.46 this year. Only up 1% next year to $4.51, which is quite interesting considering it's trading at an insane valuation of 300 times enterprise value to EBITDA. 30 times is typically a little expensive. So 300 times is absurd. It's trading at 47 times revenue. Jesus. Crazy. So uh, it's, when you say it's a little expensive, that's the understatement of the century. The good thing is they're growing nicely. Earnings per share, year-over-year growth, 110%. That's good. Balance sheet, pristine. That's great. Positive free cash flow. That's fantastic. But the valuation is just absurd. Now, the chart looks great, solid, fine. Um, so I just don't see the trajectory to grow into this valuation. I mean, it has to, free cash flow trailing 12 months is $132 million, and it's a $37 billion company. It needs to grow, it needs to, to, to 
justify this valuation, it needs to be producing two and a half, three billion dollars in free cash flow in ten years. And it's doing a hundred million trailing twelve months. So the growth just has to be astronomical. And so if you're looking for a short term momentum play, go for it. But terrible valuation. Let's get right back to our Invest Talk voice bank. This question came in earlier from Michigan. Hi, Justin and Steve. This is Jane from Michigan. I am a new listener of your podcast. I have been listening to many uh, other finance podcasts and really enjoy yours. I own small position of mad life, and I want to hear from your insights of insurance company in the future environment. I understand that uh, you cannot provide recommendation, but I'm wondering what insurance companies you likely invest in, if not the MetLife. Thank you. Bye. All right. Great question. Now, she's looking at MetLife, or maybe she owns MetLife, and insurance companies in general I like in this environment, especially if you're looking at the finance sector as a whole. It's one of my favorite areas. Why? Because a couple things. One, because of COVID and the worries around the damage, think of uh, the riots that we had, et cetera, premiums are actually going up. Although claims in general are going down, especially for things like car crashes, right? So I like companies that are more focused towards uh, auto insurance. So that's something to think up, think about. Uh, MetLife or insurance companies in general, I also like just because of potentially higher interest rates. Remember, insurance companies make money by, not by making big profits on how much they pay out in claims versus how much premium they're receiving. Typically, that's close to break even. What they make a lot of money on is investing that money in the meantime, right? While they're waiting to pay out those claims to earn interest. Now, years ago, they were making pretty good interest, five, six, seven percent. You can invest in treasuries. Nowadays, it's hard to make a high return, a lot of interest on that money. And so if interest rates start to rise, it'll become a lot easier for them to earn money on those premiums. So that's another reason why I really like insurance companies if I'm trying to get exposure to the space, okay? So, or the exposure to the finance sector as a whole. I like them better than banks. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I'll return on Thursday. Steve Pease will be here tomorrow. In the meantime, please remember to tell your friends and family members that they can choose from over 100 archived Invest Talk podcasts for free download over at Spotify iTunes, or Google Play, as well as investtalk.com, where they can listen live four to five Pacific time. Just click on the listen live button. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, It's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. 
Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. 